0: Well, I want to read to you from John chapter 20, and we'll read verses 1 through 10, although really, uh, I'm just going to talk about a phrase that's in verse 9. But I, I wanted to read the whole context. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes as you can well imagine, with Mary Magdalene. And really, she was not alone whenever she went to the tomb. It's kind of hinted at here in the passage whenever she said, and we don't know where they had taken him. In other words, there were other people with her. When you read other gospel accounts, you find out that uh, this—that Mary Magdalene was not there going, by, going there by herself. She was with others when they went there. They didn't know what to think. They just realized that he wasn't there and an angel told them that he was risen. But that really didn't make a lot of sense to them. Peter and John go there and what they see is not the work of a grave robber because everything was neat and things were folded up inside there. They couldn't understand what was going on either because it was such a foreign concept to them that it wasn't going to stay foreign for very long. Well, Let me tell you a little thing here. This is happened back 130 years ago. In Ohio City, Ohio, a man named James Lambert was driving along a dirt road in his newfangled, horseless carriage. He was hurtling along at a breakneck speed of maybe four or five miles an hour. When he hit an exposed tree root, he lost control of his car and crashed into a hitching post. As far as we know, that was America's first car wreck. Now, I guess you could say it was bound to happen one of these days, but really it didn't have to happen. It's just that chances were very good that it was going to happen sometime. But remember this accidents are not necessities. Accidents don't have to happen, accidents are just probabilities. That's all we could say. But today we celebrate an event that has nothing to do with chance or probability, and we're we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It had to happen. It was a divine necessity. This is the thing that we see here in this passage. And we see this in other passages too. Like if we were to read in Luke chapter 24, or really just here in this passage that we looked at first in verse 9, it says that the disciples, or Peter and John, as yet didn't understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. It doesn't say that he would rise from the dead or that he might rise from the dead, but he must rise from the dead. This is a necessity. Whenever you look at uh, in, in the Gospel according to Luke, in the last chapter, verse 20, chapter 24, we see that Jesus caught up with a couple of his followers. On They were coming from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, he had he had already been resurrected. They didn't recognize who it was, but whenever they were just saying, we thought that this guy was the hope of Israel. And then Jesus began explaining to them the fact that this, it says it says that it was necessary, said Jesus, that Christ should endure sufferings and enter into his glory. And then later on that evening, Jesus met with the group of the twelve that were left. So it was really the eleven, and he told this gathering of his apostles that the Christ had to suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. In other words, what we're talking about is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was always a part of God's eternal plan to redeem a cursed creation and an unholy humanity. King David wrote about it in, in some of the Psalms, and in this Psalm that we read at the beginning of the service, Psalm number 16, where King David wrote these words. It says, You will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. We find out other hints in the the Old Testament. If you were to read in Genesis chapter 3, you see just a very slight hint that there was more to come. He said he told the serpent, he said, the seed of a woman is going to crush your head. You may bruise his heel, but you're going to get your head crushed over this. And and then also we can read in Isaiah chapter 53. He spoke, it was, says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. The kindly prophet Hosea made an allusion to the something that was going to happen centuries in advance. When it says after two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up. and and that we may live before him. And we're all familiar with the runaway prophet Jonah, or the uh, reluctant prophet Jonah, and that uh, he decided that uh, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, and he decided to take, you know, kind of a you know, a cruise. And he gets on a boat. And anyway, he realizes that you can't outrun God on foot and you can't outrun him on water. And he just said, throw me in. And then he spent three days in the belly of a whale. And Jesus even referred to this. He said, just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale, so must the son of man stay three days in the belly of the earth. All of these were little allusions to what was going to happen and what had to happen. Now, Maybe no one prior to that very first Easter really could discern these faint foretellings in the Old Testament. But Jesus understood them full well. He knew what His mission was. He knew what His mandate was. And that was to suffer and to die for sins and then to rise from the dead on the third day. It was the Father's eternal plan. It was going to happen. It had to happen and it did happen. Christ's resurrection had to take place in order for our, our, our sins to be pardoned. Paul wrote this in, in the first letter to the Corinthians. He said, If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. And later he wrote to the people in Rome, he said that Jesus was handed over to death because of our trespasses and raised from the dead, raised from the dead to accomplish our right standing before God. Now, I want us to think about a couple of things about the death and resurrection of Christ. First of all, understand this, and this may kind of raise some eyebrows. I think I've seen eyebrows raised whenever I've said this before. Jesus didn't die on the cross to show you how much he loved you. That was a result of it. The result of him, one of the results of him dying on the cross, was to show us. You know, we we can't think of Jesus dying on the cross without Him loving us. But that was not the reason behind it all. He died in order to pay for the sins of those who believe Him and put their trust in Him and put their faith in God. In other words, He died to make a propitiation or a payment for the sins and the spiritual crimes that we have committed. Now this, and then we have to think about this, about the resurrection, is that when Jesus died on the cross, think about what he was doing. He was offering himself up to the Father as a sin offering. A sin offering to pay for our sins. The resurrection shows this, is that the sacrifice that he offered to the Father was acceptable and well-pleasing before Him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot be considered an optional part of our faith or our belief. It cannot be considered some outdated, archaic creed or some insignificant idea. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, His crucifixion would have amounted to nothing more than a very forgettable event in which another radical Jewish religionist got it in the neck. And there was plenty of them that did. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, our guilt would still rest on our own heads. Our sinful standing before God would remain fixed. But thank the Lord, Christ is risen from the dead. Otherwise, there are no words that could describe the doom that will await us on the day of judgment. In order for us to be right with God, Jesus had to rise from the dead. No two ways about it. Our hope rests on this fact. Think about this. Humanity or man in his natural sinful state is going to die. Period. There's no two ways about it. Man has no basis to believe that he will see any life beyond this world not on his own. The scripture says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Ever since man brought the pollution of sin into God's creation, all humanity has been caught up in a cycle of death. Everyone enters into this world having one natural prospect, death and decay. Someone had to break this cycle if we were ever to have hope, but no one could. That is, until Jesus came on the scene. And He died for our death-dealing sins, but He did more than that. And this was absolutely necessary. He rose from the dead. He shattered death's bonds. He reversed death's curse. He broke the deadly cycle of humanity. And that is why He could say to Martha, I, and I alone, am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me shall not die, shall live even though he should die, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. When he said that, he was telling them, I'm the only one that can do this. Only in him can we find hope. We may view the cross as the symbol of our salvation, but folks, it is the empty grave of Jesus Christ that is the bedrock of our faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the pivotal happening of all time, past, present, and future. There is no more important event that has ever taken place in the whole universe than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I might add, if you will allow me, there is nothing that has ever occurred that is more critical for you. Without the resurrection of Christ... And let me put it bluntly, but without the resurrection of Christ, you have hope for absolutely nothing more than what you now have left in an already brief life, which is drawing steadily closer to to the end of which is drawing steadily closer with every breath that you take. Death is unavoidable for you and after that the judgment followed by an equally unavoidable verdict of guilty and a sentence of death. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ interrupts this with good news. And the good news is this, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ransomed from a death sentence Rescued from despair, snatched from the jaws of destruction. So the question is this Have you believed? Have you believed not just in Christ that Christ's resurrection has happened, but have you believed in your heart, as it says in Romans? That is, have you believed in him with your will? And have you openly acknowledged him as your master? If you can say with full, if, you, if if so, you can say with full confidence that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, and He is risen for me, and because He lives, I too shall live, and not just for today, and not just for tomorrow, but forever. Let's pray together. Now, our Lord. We are humbled whenever we stand before you. We're humbled when we kneel before you. And Lord, your grace is amazing, especially whenever we think of not just the cross, but the empty tomb. Lord, you're the giver of all life. And you are the only giver of eternal life. Now Lord, we pray that you would impress upon our minds to reach out to you, to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And Lord, we we, we thank you so much for all that Jesus did. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith in him. We pray that you would increase our understanding of him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.